Welcome to this week's message from The Gathering Place. We are a community of believers who love God and love people. We hope this week's message blesses and encourages you. Subscribe to our podcast so you can receive notifications for future messages from The Gathering Place. Um, I'd like you to bring uh, the PowerPoint up onto the screen. Thank you. I asked uh, Ashley... Um, had contacted me, Sister Ashley had, and she had basically um, said, hey, I have some art I'd really like to display, just to display for the church, and just to kind of take my first step of faith, as I'm kind of going out there, and I'm starting to put myself out there. I'm not just hanging it in my room and looking at it, but I'm going to share it. This is a big point. This is a big point in your life right now, right? I said, but when I walked in the back, I prepared a message all week. Now, this is, this is, this is classic gathering place stuff. I'm, 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 I'm honest to you. This is classic gathering place stuff. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, Ashley, that looks like that. And at the end, I'm going to put a picture up that looks like that. And I'm cracking up at God because this is God. This is classic stuff that God does. Is this is so much of the message I'm sharing that I walked out there and I looked at her art and I went, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, come on, man. It's just God. And so I want to just begin. I want to talk to you. Last week we had um, Pastor Lance come. And how many of y'all thought he did a great job? He did an awesome job. Really, really did a good job. Like he said something in the middle of the message. He said a phrase. He said, and they settled. Of everything that he said last week, that stood out to me. Because I think that is the greatest danger that we have as Christians. Is we get saved and we start taking the journey. And we know God has something. But somewhere in the middle of it, we settle. And I want to incur, and, and it was all about taking the dream and not settling. Not settling into it. How many of you are pioneers? Listen, there's a difference between a pioneer and a settler. Let me tell you something. You are a pioneer. You are pioneering a work in this city. You are pioneering a work in this region. You can't have settler expectations when you're a pioneer. You're preparing the way. You're like a John the Baptist. You're preparing the way for what God wants to do in this region and you're pioneers. That is, the danger of a pioneer is they can start to think like a settler where they need everything ready and prepared, and so they start running around trying to find it. But if you're a pioneer, you're not made to just go and settle. You're made to cut through the weeds and prepare something for another. I got five amens. See, we've been taught as consumers to just find something that's an elegant solution we can attach ourselves to and be a part of it. But what we don't realize is, is we can very easily do that and be incredibly lukewarm. Because when you're a pioneer, you're a pioneer. Just like David, he was a king in the Bible. Everywhere he went, he was a king. He was a king. When he was with the sheep, he was the king of the sheep. When he was out in the wilderness, he was the king of the rejects. The Philistines heard about him. He became the king of the Philistines even. Think about that. That's crazy stuff. Because when you're what you are is what you are. And many of you, you're called to be pioneers. You're called to dream and see things and build things. See, this is, this is I, I, Hebrews 11 where it talks about Abraham. Lot was the one that saw something that was fully prepared and he joined himself to it. 
Abraham had some brush and God said, build something there. Do something there. Let me take you and take faith and do something with your life. It takes more to just look by faith and see what God sees. Amen? Okay? And so I'm challenging you today because I thought to myself after I walked out, I thought, you know what? For us to get all excited and to hear this message about dreaming and then not teach people how to go from the dream to the promise is cruel and unusual punishment. Because that's what we do so much is we come in, we get motivated by a dream message, and then we walk out, and then we wonder why the dream isn't happening. But in order for the dream to happen, there's some key steps along the way that have to happen. And I literally walked out saying, okay, God, now what do I share about to take people from the dream to the promise? And I, you know, I had something in the back of my mind I was thinking about. Now, pay attention. Where was it? Was it in the guts of my spirit? Or was it in my mind? It was in my mind. And I woke up the next day, kind of still wrestling, and Tuesday, I remember I was sitting in the corner of my couch, and as I was praying... I heard God speak to me and say, I want to do a deep, cleansing, purging work in my people. And I felt him say it in me, like, Cleve, I want to do a deep, cleansing work in you. I want to do something so deep in you that purges you. I said, God, why would we start on the, to go from the dream? Why would we start with you needing to do this deep work in us, this purging work in us. And the Lord began to show me, some of us have come out of things, and God wants to cleanse us of what we've come out of. Some of us have been struggling with things, and he wants to cleanse us of what we've been struggling with. Some of us have some concepts that he wants to deal with. And so God, in order to do it, before you can go on the journey, he has to unburden us. It says, casting, putting aside all those weights and those things that so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, finisher of our faith. And so there's a part of us that we have to be willing before we can do the journey to let God unburden us of the things that have been in the way. Amen? And I'm going to be very specific at times throughout today's message. But I want to share with you, before I can even share this message, I need to start by just sharing something else. So let's move forward. This is a guy named Dr. Walter Mischel. Um, he d went to the same barber that I go to. Um, um, and um, he, w he was a wonderful guy. He died in 2018. Um, in 1972 at Stanford University, he did an experiment that became known as the marshmallow experiment. And what they would do is they would take uh, um, and they would bring children in, young children from the ages, I believe, of, I believe it was five to nine years old. They would bring them in, or maybe it was five to eight years old. They would bring them into this table and they would bring a plate and on the plate they would have a marshmallow. And, sh and they would explain about this marshmallow. You know, if you eat, you, you, here's the marshmallow. You can eat this now or you can wait 15 minutes. And in 15, min 15 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. 
And so I wanted to just, if we could, jump over and play this video real quick. Nice sound. was bleeding okay so that's your all right here's the deal marshmallow for you you can either wait and I'll give you another one if you wait or you can eat it now when I come back I'll give you two, another one so then you'll have to but stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back okay, okay. all right I apologize, it was 1972. The diversity gap was large. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It so. smells yummy. Oh, it smells really One it's for her. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? Twins. I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. <laughs> My wife said, count on a ginger to do that. <laughs> Gee, that's brutal. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> Love that kid. <laughs> Didn't want to anyway. Let's go back to the other screen. What this experiment showed was this. They followed these kids. Um, it, was a, it was actually a, um, it was an experiment in delayed gratification. And what they found is these same children, they followed them about 15 years later. And when they followed them, what they found out is that they were the ones that actually waited, scored higher on their SATs, um, were, um, got into, um, had, uh, 
um, large, higher paying jobs. There was all of these different um, elements about them that they found because there was something in their persona that was able to deal with delayed gratification. And, um, and because of delayed gratification, they were more successful. You might say, hey, Cleve, what is this? Is that what you're going to preach about? No. They also did something else. They followed him. So that was the conclusion. So then they spent about 10 years talking about the experiment and about the importance of, of you know, delayed gratification. But um, Dr. Mishler actually followed them about 20 years later in, um, in, in he was well into his 80s. And what he found out in his 80s, that what he had seen 20 years earlier, that some were, you know, had higher SATs, all this stuff, what they found was that many of the ones that were successful at that point had fallen off and had nervous breakdowns and had all kinds of issues. And that what the other ones had is that they had, um, they had, um, they had totally changed their persona because of life experiences and things that they had went through. And so what he saw 20 years later was a very different thing. Now, that's good for some of us because some of us feel like, why am I such a late bloomer? And so they were interviewing him, and I was listening to this interview in 2018. I was driving. I can tell you where I was driving. I was driving on Corral Hollow Road. I was passing um, the uh, west, the, the school offices, Tracy Unified School offices. I can tell you exactly where I was, where I was listening to this. And I remember as I pulled up to the light to turn left on Grant Line that he said something, and it was like a bell rang in my head, and I went, Eureka. Because here's what he said. He said, but what we found out is one of, about this experiment is one of the most hopeful things that you could find out. And the lady said, well, what is that? And she was almost kind of cynical. And he said, what we found out is that people can change. And he says, the fact that they can change gives us all hope. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you don't believe people can change and you don't believe you can change, that is when your faith is struggling the very most. When you look at your spouse or you look at somebody else and you say they can't change, we need to be very, very cautious of that because all of us can change. And if we have this good, good father that is dealing with us, we can change. But you know what? There's two things. We have to believe that we can change. Now, you guys say that's great. And we got to know that we need to change. Not just that we believe we can change, but we need to believe we need to change. So let me get specific. If you're addicted to pornography, you need to change. If you're addicted to substances, you need to change. If you're addicted to gossip, you need to change. If you cut yourself in private and nobody knows about it, you need to change. If you lose it with your spouse, you need to change. If you get sideways with people on the road and you're a yeller at people when you drive, you need to change. If you think you don't have an anger, I know people tell me they have no anger issue. You get in a car with them and they are yelling at people all the way to where they're going. We're helping them. Get out of the way. I have New York roots. Leave me alone. If you, if, you, if you act like you're made of Teflon, you need to change. 
If you have to win every argument, you need to change, man. I need to change. You know what? I'm going to tell you guys something. I need to change. Like, I'm your pastor, and I need to change really bad. And if you don't believe me, call my wife this week at some point and ask her, does Cleve need to change in some areas? The answer is yes. But when you say, I didn't do anything, it has nothing to do with me, it's everybody else's fault, and I don't need to change, you have fallen into a place of great irresponsibility and pride. If you think that you are always the victim in the story, you are struggling and battling with your own pride. Quiet in here. Well, they this and they that. Hold on a second. How many times does this happen in your life? Does this happen to you over and over and over again? Have you considered that maybe there's something in this element that you're responsible for as well? Everybody say the word responsibility. There we go. What is responsibility? Responsibility is your understanding of God. You say, Cleve, what? Responsibility is my understanding of God. What do you mean by that? I'll make it very clear. I'm going to tell you what will make you a responsible person. When you realize that God is responsible for you. You're like, what? That's him being responsible, not me. No, the beginning of taking responsibility is understanding something, that we, God, is responsible for us. Do you, how many of you believe God is responsible for you? How many of you believe, I just got to do it on my own, I got to buck it up on my own, too, blah, 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 just, uh, you know, come on. Huh. There's a lot of people like that. And that works great for them for a while. Listen, the reason I have an understanding of what it means to be responsible is because I grew up with a parent that modeled to me responsibility, or I grew up with a sibling, or I grew up with a friend. Somewhere in my life, there was a message that I saw responsibility, and that message transferred onto my life, and it reminded me of something. The reason I say that is because when you are irresponsible, it's because you're struggling to understand God's responsible for you. When you understand God's responsible for you, that's your image as a father. And so that image is put onto you and you begin to, perform, you begin to, to, um, to operate in the same kind of responsibility of the God that you see. Do you believe that? How many of you can be irresponsible? Come on, everybody in this room should be raising your hands. Do not be proud with me today. Everybody in this room can be irresponsible. You say, I'm a very responsible person, except when my wife wants me to help her clean the house. Listen, we all have areas, right? And, and this is not about beating up on ourselves. This is about us seeing something. We need to change. We need to take responsibility. Responsibility is the path to breakthrough. Because God is responsible for us, we must also be responsible. Because that same image that our father is, we as his children have to operate in. Responsibility looks like this. It's faithful. It's on time. It's dependable. It's not always whining about what I'm not getting. It's saying, what am I bringing? That's something I wanted to do for everybody in the room. I want to ask you a question today. What is one thing 
that you can say is an element in a church that when that is present in that body, it makes you feel like this is family, this is home, this is good, I belong here. I want you to think about that. What's that one thing? Now some of us, as I said that, our mind right away is like, yeah, I need to find a place like that. That's irresponsible. Responsibility says this, what am I doing because this is an element that matters to me to implement that where I am? The cop-out is, they won't let me. Have you asked? They won't let me. Have you tried? Well, I tried, and the first time nobody showed up for what I was thinking. And you gave up? Everything you do the first time nobody shows up for. In fact, if they do show up, something should be wrong with you. Some, you should say something's probably wrong. It's okay to start the party with just you and Jesus and your spouse, or just you and Jesus and your best friend. Do you know when we started, there were seven people in my house over there, and, and it was great. It felt like heaven was coming down with seven of us. It did. It just felt great. Because it's about, it was about God. It was about burden. It's, and so this is the question I have. What are you supposed to bring to a body? What are you supposed to give? What are you believing that's disqualifying you from bringing it? Why are you believing that about yourself? You say, Cleve, I love great music. Okay, are you a musician? Uh, yeah. Are you implementing great music? No, I just go to the next church looking for great music. So pick up your, pick up your axe or pick up, the axe is a guitar if you're wondering. You pick up your axe, pick up your violin, pick up your trumpet, pick up whatever it is, and play that thing. Well, I got burned at the last church because I got used. Well, then don't look at people using you. Be used of God. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. How many of y'all been to church for a while? How many of you have ever been used at church? Guess what? Welcome to, welcome to reality. You said, I haven't. And the reason I haven't been used to church is because I never offered to do anything. Uh huh. That's why a bunch of other people are getting used too much. Because you're not being used enough. <laughs> I'm my terms. I'll serve God on my terms. What's the problem there? You'll never get it on your terms. Right, Gail? Is, is God ever on our terms? Dear Lord Jesus. The great thing is, is when we get his terms, that we implement his terms, then his terms are being agreed upon and issued within the church. Amen. Now, it's quiet in here right now, and I'm not sure why, because this should be simple Christianity. Right? This is just simple Christianity. But let's dive in a little deeper. Keep going. The personality myth at the end of Mishler's life was that people can change. People can change. That's not the myth. That's the truth. Now, I'm going to read some things to you, and I want you to read along with me. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. Let's read it together. Whenever, though, they... Okay, let's start again. 
Now, y'all maybe need to stand up and do some jumping jacks or something like that. Do some bumpies or burpees or whatever they call that. Or Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Come on, y'all. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a place of piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old, constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free from it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured. Much like the Messiah, our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our life and we become like him. Does God think we can change? Let me ask you, does God think we can change? Did he give us this verse because he thinks we can change? Help me preach a little bit today. Ken, does God think we can change? Is he committed to our change? Is he willing to change? If some of you grew up in some of this. I need a little of it today. Listen, man, come on, I'm telling you, God wants us to change. If nothing else, this keeps us awake. Hallelujah. Okay, next one, next screen. Yeah, come on, now we're talking, Adrian. Hey, okay. Every morning you have two choices. Go back to sleep with your dreams or get up and follow them. To go from the dream to the promise, where do we start? Keep going. Starts with... Wait, just a second. Hold on. Where's Ashley? Do you see that? And the who that? And the what that? And the say say? Now what I'm saying is this. Now go back. Don't let me leave this one yet. What we have to do is when we're starting with a dream is God's got to purge us. And there has to be this deep cleansing in us that God does. God has to do something in us that's in the deep down that cleans us all the way in the middle of us and cleans us out. Which is what we long for. Because how many of y'all know when you're clean, it feels good? Listen, when it's about three or four days and I haven't shaven and I can smell myself wherever I can go and other people can smell me too, it's not like I walk out to the store, like walking through the store going, hey, what's up? My? Yeah, you know, that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening. But when I get there and I trim up my goatee and, you know, shave my head real smooth and smell good, at least I walk up to my wife and I'm like, hey, babe, how's it going? Right? Feels good to have a deep cleansing in our life. What do we avoid that for? Why are we avoiding that deep cleansing? Huh? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It means we got to do something. Now, I want to explain something to you. As I'm sharing this message, there's two things that happen in life. Either we get caught in desperation or we get caught in a work of the Holy Spirit called conviction. Desperation is all rooted in condemnation. This person here is reaching up. She drew this picture like they're reaching up to God. This person is reaching up to the light. But I want to ask you a question. When you are in a desperate place and you are drowning, what is the, what is the 
first instinct that you have if somebody swims out to rescue you? Somebody tell me what happens. You want to grab them, and what's the problem when you grab them? You begin to drown them too. And not only are you drowning, but now they're drowning with you because they are pulling you in. They are pulling you in because you're looking, you're saying, I'm drowning. Somebody help me. Somebody rescue me. God help me. But as you're doing that, what you don't realize is you're looking at somebody to do what only he can do. Listen, when you are in addiction, I cannot free you from addiction. The son of the living God has to do that. You say, I don't know, Cleve. I, like to I want to talk about it. You should talk about it. You should get it out in the open. You should share it. You should beat that thing to the ground, but you've got to get a hold of the king of heaven and let him do a work in you so that something happens this way. Listen, when I remember when I surrendered my life to God and Steve was there and he, I, what happened was is that God put his hand in my hand and Steve said, here is his hand and stepped out of the way as God did what he did. When you're looking at somebody to rescue you and only God can rescue you, it will never work for you because that's desperation. And then you have an attitude, it's like, well, I tried it and it didn't work. They were supposed to rescue me, they didn't rescue me, it's their fault. David, you can't rescue me, can you? But I, you can have a word from heaven, connect me with heaven, can't you? You have before. You've done that this morning before we got ready to come out here when we prayed in there. You prayed over me, and God connected me again with heaven, just right like that. But I wasn't looking and going, wow, Dave's so cool. Dave, Dave, wait for me. Dave, 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 wait. Dave, can you stand up front while I preach? Because, you know, right? Desperation. Conviction is something in the deep down in us. Down in our bellies, in the lowest parts of us, in the most center part of us, that happens where God speaks and He says, I want to get this thing out of you. Will you let me do it? God, come on, I like to flirt with women. Will you let me get that thing in you? I whine. Will you let me get that thing in you? I can't do it. I'm weak. Will you let me get that thing in you? I don't want to be in front of people who wants to get up out of the church and walk out right now. Will you let him get that thing in you? Well, it's funny, over the years, I used to think that was like, oh, okay, you're just not a get-up-in-front-of-people person. But I tell you, I've dealt with that about 50 times since I've been saved. The thing that's amazing to me is that same person that says that, when they do get up in front of people to share what God has, they're some of the most powerfully used people I've ever seen. <laughs> so then you go, okay, they were wrestling with God, not themselves. They were wrestling with God. Quiet in here, y'all. Come on. It's a little tense. 
like, leave. Leave me alone. How many geniuses kept their genius in a closet all alone and you never knew about it? That's why I'm so grateful for this today. Because you're not just putting it in a closet, are you? You're sharing it. You're letting God, who's put this picture in you, put it in us. Which is, I just got to reach to heaven now and let him do a deep cleansing work in me. Let's keep going. I better hurry up. I've only got an hour. That was a joke. <laughs> Isaiah 1, 16 through 20 says, wash yourself, make yourselves clean. Put away evil of your doings from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. The, now these, these verses don't apply to New Testament Christians, by the way. Well, the fatherless one does, but the cease to do evil one doesn't. Kind of being ornery because there's like a modern doctrine that's come out now that's like, you know, New Testament, Old Testament. Last time I checked, God told Isaiah to eat the whole book. <laughs> In fact, we can go even go further. The Old Testament is a type and shadow of the things that are to come. Hello? Oh, that brother, he preaches too much from the Old Testament. Oh, that brother, he preaches too much from the New Testament. Listen, preach the word. Be instant in season and out. When God said that to Timothy, there wasn't even a New Testament. I'll say that again. When God told Timothy to preach the word, be instant in season and out, there was not a New Testament. There was no epistles. We need to be careful of these things that people are teaching that are just silly stuff. Listen, it's the Word. The Word is anointed. There are threads that go through the Word. They work from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. They work in Genesis. They work in Revelation. Promise you. Amen? The good news is, is you get about three-fourths of the way through the book to New Testament, and Jesus is hanging on a cross, and he says, it is finished. We'll get to that. Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your skins, your skins, your sins have been like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That's pretty intense, isn't it? I like the verse that says, though your sins be like crimson, you shall be whiter than snow. And so I want to talk to you about that for a second. What is that talking about? If my sins have been like crimson, listen to me. I want to tell you something. Don't play a Jedi mind trick with God. If you're struggling with sin in a major way, don't play a mind trick with God. It says, God, well, in Christ I was forgiven of all that, so it doesn't matter. Listen, it matters to God. It matters to God. God wants to do a work in us to separate that from our life. Do you believe that today? Or do you believe that that's just something you're going to drag along with you, old stinky's going to drag along with you for the rest of your life? Do you believe that that has to be a part of you for the rest of your life? Click, 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 click. If I ask some people in this room, hand me your phone right now, let's put it up on the screen. What would be up on the screen? Whoa, I'm not just talking about what's in the images gallery. Some of us, I'd like to put some of these texts up here. 
He is such a bleepity bleep and a flippity flap and a zingity zam. Right? Right? Keep going. Let's keep going. The reason that that's there, that, is an, uh, that alludes to something that happens in Malachi. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare before me. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord. This is a prophecy about John the Baptist preparing the way for the coming of Jesus Messiah. Do you know that? Do you guys know that? Okay, so, but who may abide the day of his coming? He shall stand when he appears. This is New Testament Christianity. Not Old Testament Christianity, right? Right, Adam? New Testament. This is prophesying of the New Testament. But he, who may abide his coming? So when he comes in the New Testament, he shall stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. This sounds like this might be something that he's doing in the lives of New Testament Christians. Come on. He's doing a work in us, a purifying work, a refining work, a fuller work. All of those kind of pictures right there. And he shall be a refiner and he shall purify the sons of Levi. That speaks of the priesthood. I heard this said, before God's going to deal with the world, he's going to deal with the church. He's dealing with the sons of Levi to purge them as silver and gold. Man, I want some silver and gold, Levi. I want some Levitical priests in the church. I gotta make us silver and gold. God, bring some people that are so on fire for you and so full of the holiness and the love of God that they're living and walking like that. That would just be so awesome. I've heard enough about people falling and being filthy. Can we just walk with God? Quiet that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Fuller soap. Fuller soap. You say, what is this fuller soap? This fuller soap. We don't hear about fuller soap. That's a sheep. Fuller soap is used for a sheep. Y'all get me? And in the Old Testament, when you would have a sheep, they would grow like this. All their wool would grow. That's everything growing off of your life. Listen, I want to explain something to you. This is what happens in our life. There are seasons. How many of you know that one of the pictures that God gives in his word is for Christians is, is that we're like sheep? And sometimes we can be good, and sometimes we can be kind of bad. So anyway, that's another joke. All right. Thank God he wasn't there. All right. <laughs> and, and so what I want to say is this, is as we grow, as we walk with God, things grow out of our life. Those things that grow out of our life are things that God has been doing in our life and out of our life. The Bible talks about this in John 15. He said, every fruit, every tree that bears forth fruit, I will purge it so that it could bring forth more fruit. Everything, it's, it, you see this over and over again in the Bible. This picture of things growing out of us being cut off so that more can grow out of us. And as the things are being cut off, some of it goes into a fire and some of it is harvested. 
This is the picture of fuller soap. When it says, I will do this, it's because something's growing out of your life. Something's coming out of you. But the delusion that we can have is thinking that everything that comes out of me is just so good. Because the truth of the matter is, we live in a world where sometimes as things are coming out, there's filth too. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? That's why the Bible talks about being washed in the water of the word. We're gonna talk about this for a second. Here are the elements of fuller soap. Very cool. The shepherd goes, the shepherd takes and he shears the sheep, makes that sheep so white and so beautiful as it only has a short little coat of hair. That huge buff looking thing right there, when all that stuff comes off, looks like a little tiny nothing. I know this because I have a Yorkie. And sometimes I preach about my Yorkie because I love Zeus. That's a big name for a little dog. When we take him to the groomers and all that hair, because they don't shed, they just grow their hair. But when you cut that hair off, those hyperallergenic dogs, now that was an advertisement for Yorkies, and you cut them off, then they come back and you're like, in the words of Yeshua, that dog is so ugly. And I'm like, he's not ugly, he's cute. He looks like an Ewok, he looks possessed. No, he does not, he's cute. Gives me a hard time about my poor little Yorkie. Well, when you take that sheep and you cut it off, that's what happens. So here's how you make fuller. Fuller soap is actually plants that have been burned and made into ash. Specific plants that have been burned. Some of you could do a a study for me on what plants are used to make fuller soap. I'd love to know that study. If anybody wants to do a Bible study this week, I would love to add that to my arsenal. Okay, I couldn't get to it this week. You'll see why. Fuller soap. So they take this ash and they have this great big almost like wine vat. And they take all of this ash and they put all in the wine vat. They shear all their sheep and they put that in there. And they put it in the wine vat or this vat. We'll just call it a vat with a drain. And in it they pour the ash all over the the, um, wool. And the wool has got twigs in it. It's got goo in it. It's got poop in it. It is disgusting. It is filthy. It is miscolored. And it goes into this vat, and then they store up pee. And they take pee, and they pour pour pee, old, rancid, fermented, high-alkaline pee. And they take this pee, and they pour, some of you guys should really get a kick out of this, because I'm not the only one with a junior high sense of humor. So they pour this stinky pee in with this ash, and then they send young men and women to get in the vat, and the young men and women, they go around in the vat, and they start stomping on the wool, and they start using their feet and stomping on the wool. If they have cuts in their feet, the cuts are healed because of the alkalinity of the pee. And they walk around in the pee, and their walk is healed, and their calluses come off as they're in the pee. What's the point? Is when the church stops wanting young people to get in the vat and prepare for this and creating purity, something is wrong in the church. In every generation in the church, the young people have to get in and they have to be willing to get their feet dirty to bring forth purity. And we have to make a way for them to get their feet dirty. 
And if there isn't the young men and women in there stomping it and doing that, something happens because some of us are just old and we're tired and we can't do the stomping that's required. So we need young people to get in there and to do it. You say, not my Tommy, not my Timmy. Oh no, that's not what he does. No, Tommy and Timmy need to get in that bat. Ew. Well, we need to get you past your you. Get in there and start creating purity, creating purity. And then they take it, and as it does it, it all breaks off. The alkalinity breaks it down. And then they take it, and they put it into another thing that drains out. And they begin to take the river water and pour it in the filler out of the fuller's field. And they begin to pour it in there, and the, and, and the wool becomes this beautiful white. This lamb that is sheared provides covering and warmth for us. But if he's not sheared, if he wasn't sheared for us, there would be a lack of covering. This is talking about getting down into the deep places and purging things out in our life. Say, Cleve, I want to hear about the forgiveness of Jesus. No, that's good, but it's the transformation of Jesus. When we really change, that's the stuff. Because he doesn't just forgive us, he wants to transform us. And that comes by walking with him and getting our feet dirty. After they take it out of the river, they take it and they beat the wool against a rock and it expands. And as it expands, that's when it becomes fluffy and beautiful and you can make it in to all kinds of things from covers to sweaters to whatever wool is used for. Isn't that incredible? Let's keep going. The next verse is just in Psalm 51.3. It's the verse, or 51. This is the famous verse where David says, cleanse me, purge me. And he says, purge me with hyssop. Create in me a clean heart. Some of you know this psalm by heart. Does anybody in this room know this psalm by heart? Almost. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Right? That whole thing. And he gets down and he says, purge me with hyssop. What does it mean for God to purge us with hyssop? What does it mean? It means this. (laughs) It means that we have to allow him to do the work in us. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Here's the attributes of hyssop. It's made in teas to remedy nose, throat, and lung infections. What does that tell you? Is it just an external medicine? Is it just an external medicine? No, hessop is an internal medicine. It, does, it has a cleansing thing that's both internal and external. It's made in teas. It's applied externally to heal bruises and contusions. Look at that. It's used for flavoring food. Honey made from hyssop is considered especially fine. The oil in hyssop is a volatile... I did this one just for you, Cordell. The oil in hyssop is a volatile oil used by perfumers. An essential oil used in perfuming. It is considered an herb used to cleanse lepers. When they said the lepers had to go be cleansed, they would cleanse the lepers with hyssop water. 
And that's how the leprosy would be cleansed is with hyssop water because it has a healing element in, in its very makeup, in its very um, molecular makeup, it has a healing quality. It was considered the herb used that way. Um, a bunch, now here's the good one. We, I've, I didn't realize this until I studied this out. Do you know when God sent them to put the blood on the doorpost of the children of Israel? The death angel was coming. The coronavirus was on its way. God spoke to the children of Israel and said this. said, take a bunch of a bundle of hyssop and take the bundle of hyssop and dip it in the blood and put it upon the doorpost of the house and when the death angel comes, it will see that and pass by. I want to say this to you. It wasn't just the blood. It was also the aroma of the hyssop. There was a healing property there, the healing of the blood, the healing of the hyssop that was all present there on the doorposts of the homes. And this is why God has to do a deep cleansing work in us because we need to recover our homes. We need to recover our homes. I'm gonna say that again. We need to cover our homes again. Cover our children again. Cover our doorposts again. The other week I said, you know what? There's been a lot that's gone on since we first got into this building. I want you guys to pray over this building and I wanna pray over this building a prayer covering again. Pray over it again. Pray and pray a prayer covering over your home. Pray over your home. Just, just say, God, anoint my home. Jesus, the blood of Jesus is over my home. Did we lose the... Yep. I'm almost done. I got three minutes, Adam. Nope, go back. Got one more. It's okay. Well, I can, I can do it by memory. I, okay, I can do it by memory, though. You say, well, that's cool. Bunch of, that's, that's a cool picture in the book of Exodus about, but you know what? At the very end, at the very end, there's a little word hidden in the Gospels where they, it says, Jesus said, I thirst. And it says, and they took a bundle of hyssop and they dipped it in the sour wine, the vinegar. And they lifted that hyssop up and put it on the mouth of Jesus. You say, man, that was cruel. And Jesus responded. It says he lifted up his head and he declared, it is finished. And as he did that, it says he, he passed, he gave up, descended, three days later, ascended. It was the last element that had to be done. Here's some things I want to say to you today as we end. I believe that God wants to do a deep cleansing work in each of our lives. Whatever it is. I don't know what your is is. But between you and God, what is it that God wants to cleanse in you? 
Maybe what God wants to cleanse in you is a real just struggle with negativity. Or maybe he wants to cleanse in you something that we don't know about. Maybe he wants to cleanse in you or maybe he wants to heal something in you like an old wound that's just still affecting your personality. You know, I don't know what it is. I know this though, that as he was cleansing, he was healing. As God is cleansing, he is healing. As God is cleansing, he is healing. You say, why does he want to clean out this stuff? Because this stuff isn't my identity. Because this stuff doesn't need to belong to me. I'm going to tell you something. There are people that needed this message today and they didn't make it to church. And you know why? Because the enemy just cut them off on the way. You say, Cleve, how can you say that? I'm telling you, I know people do that. Get in an argument, turn around and go home. Struggle, instead of getting out and saying, I'm not going to let this struggle take me down, I'm going to let God deal with it. You say, well, but church is church. I mean, is that really that big of a deal? Yeah, it is that big of a deal. Because for me, I want to be where the word of the Lord is. And if God's got something for the congregation, I want to be present for the congregation, with the congregation to receive the word of the Lord. There's a deep cleansing work that God wants to do in his people. And, not, and what, what, I'm going to say this to you. Before we can get on to do the vision, why is it that that cleansing work has to happen? So that it doesn't sabotage what God's about to do. So that it doesn't sabotage it. I've talked to you guys about all of the big ones, you know, pornography, which is big. But pornography is kind of like a fruit. It's not the root. You know, guys think, guy, the guys, and then girl too, stuff too, right? But let's be honest, there's so much more stuff. Like, you know, stuff like gluttony and envy and jealousy, you know, looking at people, always looking at the other person and feeling jealous towards them because of what they got that you don't got. That's all jealousy and envy. That's the sins of the heart. That's like the stuff way down in there that's like you're comparing. You know when they go on vacation and you go on vacation. That's weird stuff, man. Seriously. Peter had that issue, right? Peter did. And Jesus said to him, what's that to you? Follow me. Follow me. Look straight up to me. I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So many times, I'm going to say this today, God wants a breakthrough, but maybe the one thing that's holding us back is that deep cleansing that he wants to do in us. That deep cleansing, that deep calling into deep, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that's like way down here. I want to end right here. Don, I'm sorry, but I want you to come up real quick and share. And then I, I just, I want him to share because of what happened with him. And then, and then we'll be done. And I'm sorry, we're going about five, ten minutes over today, but let's do it. Oh, let me get you the mic. Man, this message is so powerful because you guys don't understand what had happened with me. I am a Rocky War vet. By me being a Rocky War vet, the things I went through, a lot of times I went through it, I never felt that I needed to share or say much or anything to anybody. Because most time, most vets, the only time we say anything is to one another, if we talk. And the one thing we don't talk is to people that don't know or haven't been. 
something deep had come because I was talking with another vet, uh, and me and him was talking, and it really stirred up in my heart. I end up having what we call our flashback about what I was going through. And when I went through that and stuff, I was looking for the one person we always look for, his pastor, to try to give help. I couldn't find him. I looked for other friends and other family. Couldn't find them. Couldn't talk to my wife because she don't know. So I talked to the Lord. He helped me and he pushed me to the point to where now not only can I share the things that was going through, you know, and feel a little better and stuff, but I got a chance to talk to pastor and I said, this is something we don't do. Even though you're our pastor and stuff, we don't tell you because there's that bond or there's that thing of where when you go through combat, you don't say much because it's deep down, deep down in there. So for me, it was like, um, you see my little son, he's 15 years when he's here, you see him. That's when I was there, 15 years ago. I thought it was gone. I thought I got past that. But as he's doing the message, the Lord was doing something to get deep down and something that I didn't want to mess with because it's too much hurt, too much pain. You know, because we did, I did um, lose somebody that was part of our team over there. I was in some of the worst place that you can think of in Iraq. But the Lord was the one that was taking care of me through the whole time. I want to say something too, you know. He called me that night and I'd fallen asleep on the couch. I couldn't, we couldn't talk and he ended up dealing with the Lord. Had meltdown at his house. And he called me the next morning. I got no, two mics. Um, anyway, he called me the next morning and he said, I want to unpack all this. I'm going to tell you everything. And for, the, for about an hour and a half, we were on the phone together and he told me everything that you know, he could remember that happened while he was there during that season in a very, very gnarly place in Iraq. And as he was unpacking it, God was doing more and doing more and doing more and doing more. Because God was doing a healing work because the hyssop has a healing property. You hear what I'm saying today? Some of you, you've tucked it down so deep. You say, Cleve, uh, it's not a battle for me. What are you covering it up with? That's the question. What are you covering it up with? Because if you're covering it up with something, that means you're not well. When you're well is when God has gotten in there and instead of covering it up, he's doing a work in you. Maybe it was a husband that hurt you. I don't know what it was for you. Abusive men, a history of abusive men, or, you know, like some of you, we've talked in injustice. You say, Cleve, that's all in the past. Not if you're carrying it around in the present. It's right here. And you know what? If you will let God have that deep down place in you, the father that criticized you, whatever it was that you went through, if you let God have that deep down place in you, what will begin to happen 
is you'll begin to turn and the dreams of God and the purposes of God will begin to take place like never before. I knew that God spoke this to me about this week is that we've tucked these things and pushed them down and God wants to heal them. And it won't just be like a transaction. It'll be like you beginning to just let God do a work in you and then there'll be this healing thing that'll happen in you. And as it happens in you, you'll begin to go freer and freer and freer and you'll begin to walk out that thing that God intended for you all the way along. Amen? And here's the great part. Later on, we won't have to pick you up off the ceiling because Jesus will already have done the work. Amen? So I want to just stand. If we can just stand, if we end. Man, why haven't you been playing? Jesus. Woo! He says, my style's different, Cleve. Oh, this style's just fine. <laughs> Jesus. God, we need you to do a deep work in us. Come on, let's just go to the Lord for a second. God, we need you to do a deep down work in us. Like your word says, deep cries unto deep. God, deep cries unto deep. God, there's things that you're going to put your hand on over throughout this week. God, you're going to put your hand on it and say, can I touch that? Can I heal that? Can I put hyssop on that? Can I wash that out of you? Can I let that thing be washed out of you? Can I be, let it be removed from you? Not just the forgiveness, but the, the, the place in you of God doing a greater healing in your life. Because you are the Lord. You are the Lord, our healer. You are the God that is our healer. So Lord, everything we need has already been finished by you. Jesus, you declared when you took that hyssop to your mouth and the vinegar to your mouth, you declared it is finished. So everything I need is finished. Everything I need is prepared and ready for me. God, I pray, God, that you would do a work in your people, God. Oh, God, that you would do a deep down work in us. God, that you would purge us truly, God, and that you would have your way, God. God, I do not let go of what the old people used to say about praying through. God, if I've got to go on a 10-mile walk and pray through till I get the breakthrough, I'm going to do it, God. Lord, whatever it takes, God, I want to know you more, God. I don't want to live off a bunch of declarations. I want to live off a relationship with you and an experience and an interaction and a living relationship with you where as you're doing it in me, you're doing it in others, God. Listen what the Bible says. It says, David, you got the verse completely memorized. It says, death works in us that life might work in them. Death works in us. The life might work in them. There's some things that God in the deep down in us is He putting to death that life might work in us, that life might happen in us. There are people who say, oh, I just don't want God to touch that. God's the only safe place for that to be touched. God, thank you, God, today. Thank you, Jesus, today. Let us look up. I pray for every one of us that feels like we're drowning in our struggle. Jesus, like Peter, you would take us by the hand and cause us to walk on the water right back to the boat. 
Only you could do that. <laughs> Only you could walk out on the water and take him by the hand. Say, here, Peter, I got you. Thank you, God, that you've put us in a position. Some of you, you're drowning right now because you actually stepped out. You think God's upset with you about that? You're getting out of your boat. You're getting out of your, trying to preserve your own life. You're saying, God, here it is. Just have your way. Jesus. Jesus. Intimacy. And right here, intimacy. In to me see. That's intimacy with God. Into me see. That's what King David modeled for us. That's what John the Beloved modeled for us. Is God looked down and did the deep parts of me. Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast from The Gathering Place. We hope you enjoyed the message, and we'd love to hear from you. Please visit The Gathering Place at gptracy.com and share how this message touched you. Or, better yet, join us at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at The Gathering Place in Tracy, California. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you, and God bless.